0: A reading from Acts, chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. The reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you, unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played, unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts, that build up the church for this reason anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says for if i pray in a tongue my spirit prays but my mind is unfruitful so what shall i do i will pray with my spirit but i will also pray with my mind i will sing with my spirit but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you're saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written, Through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. (coughs) Tongues, then, are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, and pray now that uh, your Spirit would be upon me as I try to bring your word uh, to St. Andrew's Church this morning, Lord. And so, Lord, may I speak in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What a great day to be preaching. Pentecost. Uh, It's a day, it's a birthday, and it's exciting because birthdays involve presents. And the Holy Spirit, of course, is this wonderful present. The present is the Spirit of God. It's a, a present that Jesus had been at pains to tell his disciples that he was going to the Father in order to give them this gift, the Spirit of Truth, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit. And for those that receive that Spirit, it's like having Jesus himself alive within us. Of course, the giving of the Holy Spirit is prophesied in the Old Testament. Uh, we've just read a bit from Ezekiel and part of that canticle. And that well known prophecy in jo- Joel, where he prophesies that he will pour out his Spirit on all people. Uh, and so that uh, the old people and the young people will prophesy. And what was the result of that outpouring on Pentecost? The church is born. Peter preaches his first sermon, 3,000 people got converted, in my dreams, Lord, thank you. But, um, and the church begins with the most unstoppable momentum. And the last three Sundays, we've been looking at these spiritual gifts. Uh, chapter 12, uh, Michael sort of covered only very briefly all the spiritual gifts that are mentioned there. And last Sunday, Janet Uh, talked about chapter 13, which is all about love, the supreme gift. If we don't have love, everything else is meaningless. And now at uh, chapter 14, the the other bit of the sandwich, um, there's some almost sort of talk of rebuke against the misuse of uh, one of these gifts called tongues and a real encouragement and exhortation uh, for people to use the gift of prophecy. And uh, the main present, of course, is the Spirit of God that when uh, he comes to live within us, marks us out as a child of God, and in a sense is our salvation. It's a sign of our redemption. It is a gift that cannot be bought. It cannot be earned. It can only be received by the grace of God. But there are other gifts and I'm going to use, this came to me late at night, I had to rewrite the first two pages of my sermon, but I, it went down well at the 9.30 service, so here you go. Um, now this is a camera bag, and this, as you can see, is a camera. It is a gift, it was in fact a gift uh, I gave to Lucia uh, as a well done present for having baby Theo. She might say that actually it was a gift for myself, but I strongly deny that. She just hasn't had an opportunity to read the owner's manual yet and to work out how it works, whereas I have. Now, I can make pretty good use of this camera um, just as it is out of the box. It's a modern camera, and it's got an incredible sort of zoom lens on it. But there are accessories that come with this gift these are other gifts. So, for example, I have a, uh, it has a built-in flash, but this is a really powerful flash. It has a zoom lens that the paparazzi themselves would, uh, would die for. Uh, I also have a, an amazing s- stabilized macro lens, um, and I was taking photographs of money spiders on the beach in Devon last week. I mean, you know, you, you can pick up a one millimeter size thing with this. You're getting the impression, of course, I didn't buy this myself. Um, and this is a fisheye lens. Uh, with, well, not quite, but it's a 10 millimeter ultra, ultra wide angle lens. I, I could stand two foot in front of you and I could get everybody either side of you. It's sort of that wide angle. So there's a great list of accessories and that there are more bits and bobs around the camera bag. Now, um, with all these gifts, the camera can be put to full and effective use. It can, if you like, achieve its full potential. Mr. Nikon, who made this, could look at this camera and say, I made that camera... It is being fully used. It is bearing good fruit. Have you not seen some of Will's photographs? And you know, so it is with the gift of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit. But the amazing thing is, many of us leave the accessories in the bag. Yes, we've been saved as a Christian uh, We have the Spirit indwelling in us. You cannot be a Christian without the Spirit of God living inside you. But, you know, many of us have forgotten that this bag exists. Many of us haven't even opened it to look inside. And many of us haven't even asked to remove some of these accessories, to try them on the camera so that the camera can be used for even greater use. And the odd thing is, the owner's manual tells us what all the accessories for this camera are. The owner's manual for the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 12, tells us what all the other gifts are. And yet, many of us don't go there. And so, uh, the whole point of this series is really to encourage all of us to look inside that bag, not just unzip it, but actually to start getting things out and trying them on the front. They may fall off, they may not, go, they may not work, but at least to have a go at what's in the bag. Now, the, 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 to, to continue with the analogy, the lens that was the most popular lens in Corinth was this gift of tongues. And it was being misused, And abused because if you didn't have this particular lens, you were not really a true camera user. You were just using some pathetic bit of kit. Uh, If you wanted to be a real Christian in Corinth, you had to have this lens. No other lenses were as good. And uh, it was causing disorder. Now, the other lens in that bag called Prophecy. Paul says, is much more important for building up the church, yet very few people were using it. And so he writes this chapter to correct the imbalance. Chapter 14 starts, follow the way of love, that's just reminding us that love is the most important gift of all, and eagerly desire spiritual gifts especially the gift of prophecy. Now, there may be those of you who are saying, listen, I've read 1 Corinthians, child. I don't go there. My personality type, I just don't do all that crazy kind of charismatic stuff. I'm very happy to leave these lenses in here. I know about them. I can read about them, but I'm going to leave them in there. But we cannot forget that Paul says not once, but twice that we are to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. He says that because he knows that just on its own, we're not really doing what God made us to do. We're not reaching our full potential as Christians. So it's interesting that chapter 14 is almost sort of rebuking about the misuse of tongues. And yet he also says, I'm so pleased that I speak in tongues more than any of, of uh, anybody else. And so it's a paradox that he's uh, placing prophecy at the top of the Premier League, if if you like, and then kind of moving tongues down into the relegation zone. And uh, I wonder why that is. And really the answer is because Paul is an evangelist. His primary concern here is to see the church growing with more and more people coming to faith. Anything that is an obstacle to that growth must not be allowed to be a barrier. It's swept aside. So in in verse 2 he says tongues are not directed to men but to God. It's a, it's a heavenly kind of gobbledygook language which is us, the spirit sort of speaking within us, talking to God. But prophecy, on the other hand, verse 3, is directed to the people of God and meets three of the needs of the human heart. To strengthen us, to encourage us, and to comfort us. Now, Paul's wish is to have us all speaking in tongues, but he adds, given the choice, he would rather have us prophesy. So for those of you who are thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to get really embarrassing, Will's going to try and lay hands on us all and ask for the Spirit to come and we'll all start babbling away, you've got nothing to worry about here because Paul says, I would much rather you all had this gift of prophecy. He says the prophet is greater than the tongue speaker unless the tongue speaker is interpreted. And that's because the prophet builds up the church. And in verse 5, he repeats the edifying intention of the Christian gathering. Edifying is rather sort of an old-fashioned word. You know, let's, let there be no misunderstanding here. We, are, we meet to, to be edified, to build one another up. That's the idea of that. It's not to come in for some emotional feel-good factor, although I would add that if we were all feeling very, very built up, we probably would be feeling good at the same time. So Paul is arguing with those who apparently put such an emphasis on tongues by taking himself as an example. Unless he brings some revelation, some knowledge, some prophecy or some teaching, what good will his ministry achieve? But in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct rather than 10,000 words in a tongue and I can sort of imagine his frustration as an evangelist I mean imagine if uh, you, you got really fired up and, and uh, you know in the lead up to Alpha you invited five of your friends along uh, to, to a visitor's service and they came in here and you were really nervous you were praying that there was going to be nothing untoward and nothing too wacky going on and you walk in here and half the people suddenly start babbling away you would want the ground to swallow you up. You wouldn't see your guests for dust. They'd be out of here. They'd vaporize themselves in a moment. And that is what is so exercising Paul here. It might be sounding familiar to any of you who have visited uh, a pretty wild Pentecostal church where orderly worship is perhaps at the top of their agenda. But he contrasts this in verse 24. He says, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all. And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Isn't that the most amazing picture of what Paul wants the church to be like? People coming in here, hearing a prophetic word, realizing it only can have come from God and realizing that there really is a God and then getting down on their knees and worshiping him. A classic example is told by Charles Spurgeon of a prophetic word. This is just a a classic example. He writes this While preaching in the hall, on one occasion, I deliberately pointed to a man in the midst of the crowd and said, There is a man sitting there who is a shoemaker. He keeps his shop open on Sundays. It was open last Sabbath morning. He took ninepence and there was fourpence profit in it. His soul is sold to Satan for fourpence. Later, the same shoemaker gave his side of the story. I went to the music hall and took my seat in the middle of the place. Mr. Spurgeon looked at me as if he knew me, and in his sermon he pointed to me and told the congregation that I was a shoemaker and that I kept my shop open on Sundays, and I did, sir. I should not have minded that, but he also said I took ninepence the Sunday before and that there was fourpence profit out of it. I did take ninepence that day, and fourpence was just the profit. But how he should know that, I could not tell. Then it struck me that it was God who had spoken to my soul through him. So I shut up my shop next Sunday. At first I was afraid to go again to hear him, lest he should tell the people more about me. But afterwards I went, and the Lord met with me and saved my soul. What a wonderful example of a prophetic insight into one person! In Spurgeon's congregation. I I imagine there were thousands there. Now, I hope I have got your attention now, and I hope I've whetted your appetite, and I've got you thinking, hey, this sounds like the sort of church I'd like to be a part of. Now, if you are thinking that, and I sincerely hope you are, I imagine all sorts of other questions are springing to mind. You know, what does a prophetic word look like? What if I get it wrong? How do I get this gift? And so on and so forth. Well prophecy is a direct word of God for the situation in hand through the mouth of one of his people. It is the telling of something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Now you know, libraries could You need libraries to fill up all the stuff written on prophecy, and I don't have much time left. So I just wanted to uh, spend the next part of my talk just giving some pointers to those of you who feel they might quite like to give this a go, to ask God to, to delve inside the camera bag and to start to have a look at some of these things and just see what the Lord might bless you with. Now the first point is we need to make evangelism a priority. That was the reason the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost, was not to uh, get them babbling away or feeling this amazing sensation of tongues of fire on their shoulders. It was to get the church built and growing. It is for evangelism. The fruit of that first outpouring of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people come to faith. So we need to make sure that in our own lives, uh, evangelism is a priority. Let's remember that Andrew, especially in this church, Andrew was the first evangelist. He found his brother Simon Peter, he told him, and he brought him. And that's what we need to do with Alpha or whatever other courses we're involved with here. We need to find people, we need to tell them, and we need to bring them. The second thing is we need to ask for this gift. Paul makes it clear that we are all part of one body and we're not all going to have the same gifts. Thank goodness for that. Um, But it may be that this isn't a gift uh, for you. I don't know. But we should remember in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So let's be bold. Let's ask. We must ask if we want it given. We must seek if we want to find. And we must carry on knocking on that door if we want that door to be opened. We need to dare to ask God and keep on asking. Third, and I like this, uh, we need to maintain a constant high state of readiness. Okay, this isn't just some sort of ephemeral, wishy-washy gift that kind of happens, you know, when we're in the middle of no, nowhere. On, on, on. You know, this is a gift for when you are sitting next to somebody on the bus, and you get that sort of spirit prompt that you should say something to your neighbor. And it's a scary place to be. I know I'm the world's worst person at plucking up courage in situations like that. But you should do... Uh, uh, my practice is, you know, if I'm, in a, if I'm in a checkout queue and I just sense the presence of somebody quite near me, uh, somebody who it wouldn't be odd if I were just to say, gosh, you know, these queues really are interminable, aren't they? You know, that sort of situation, just to shoot up an arrow prayer and say, Lord, I'm here, use me. Speak to me something that I can speak into the life of this person. So you need to have a constantly high state of readiness. And it may be that the Lord just, is just quiet. It's just silent. And you can just say, bid the person farewell or whatever. But you should always be ready uh, to ask for that gift of prophecy. Uh, and then... Uh, Fifth, should—sorry. Uh, fourthly, we should be obedient to what God's, God tells us to do. There's a lovely story of John Wimber sitting next to somebody on an airplane, and he turns around to this guy on his left, and he sees the word adultery written on the man's forehead. And to cut a long story, I, mean, I wish I had time to, to, to read it to you, but he, um, he plucks up the courage and says, listen, I, please excuse me for saying this, but I, I'm just wondering, uh, I just feel I should say this word adultery to you. And he didn't get punched. But what it does is it, the guy just said, how on earth did you know? And he said, well, actually, uh, the risen Jesus Christ, who is my Lord and my God, has actually just revealed that to me. Can we just go to the galley? I want to tell you about Jesus. And the guy was just let off, you know. And uh, he was convicted of his sin. And his uh, relationship was with his wife was, uh, was restored after he repented. So it, will, it might take a lot of faith and a lot of guts to actually follow through if you get a prophetic word like that, and following on from that, I think we should start by ministering to believers. If you want to have a go at this ministry, probably best to try it out on fellow believers rather than uh, rather. Than, I mean, John Wimber is uh, an anointed uh, pastor in in, in this uh, area of spiritual gifting. But, um, you know, because we can get hurt, it can go wrong. And, you know, I'm someone who's been hugely encouraged, hugely encouraged through a prophetic word. Uh, I was on a mission in Dartmoor Prison, and I didn't know whether I wanted to come to St. Andrews. It was too big and too scary, and people had told me you lot were all far too scary, and uh, I'd be eaten for breakfast every Sunday. And uh, I thought I'd be better off in a small rural church. And um, in Dartmoor prison, surrounded by all these uh, vulnerable prisoners, these, these sex offenders, um, somebody just came up to me and said, Will, the Lord has just said to me, uh, you will preach in front of many hundreds of people. I went, whoa, what's that about? And actually, when I prayed about it, it was affirmation that this is where I should come. I then shared it with Andrew, and he said, well, I mean, how do you know that? That's... that's a but, um, but, you know, but from the other point of view, I've had all these prophetic words about this job I applied for uh, in Stanford in the Vale, and pe- you know, one man said, I woke up in the night and I had a vision of you, you know, standing by our church, you know, Will, you are the man who God wants here, and I didn't get the job. And I've been left, you know, really quite bruised by all these prophetic words, and um, I just, was speaking to somebody actually over the weekend and I was talking about uh, prophecy. And he pointed something out out very helpful. He said, prophecy, which is to do with relationships, means that two, it takes two to tango. And he said that in his own life, he'd been told that Henrietta was this woman that he was going to marry. And everyone had sort of confirmed that. But actually he said, but Henrietta had to decide for herself whether she wanted to marry And it does happen sometimes you can get a prophetic word, but actually, the the person who the other person or organization involves with, perhaps like my job selection, uh, they don't go along with this prophecy. And, you know, we have freedom of choice. So uh, we do need to be careful and to start by ministering to believers. We need to guard against impurity. And that's why I think it's so exciting that I think there could be many people here who can wait in the quietness of their day and their prayer and quiet time to hear God's still small voice, whereas younger, perhaps younger people who are rushing around much more just don't get to hear God speaking to them. And we need to guard against impurity and pride. And then we must cultivate compassion for the lost. As we grow in compassion for the lost, God will put the names of those he wants us to pray for on our hearts. And another pointer, we mustn't let Satan stop us. Don't believe the lie that says prophecy is just for super spiritual elite. Philippians 4.13 says, for I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength I need. Many of us are held back in the gift of prophecy through a fear. What if we say something and it's not of God? What if we're made to look stupid? What if we let God down? Let's not forget in Proverbs twenty-four sixteen, the writer says, Through a right, though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. We, you know, we're going to fall. We're going to make mistakes, but we can get back up again. So don't let Satan immobilize us. And then lastly, we must let testimony encourage us. We do, we do invite people to share testimonies of encouragement and, you know, Andrew's really up for it and, and it kind of never happens because, you know, in the busyness of getting ready for the service, trying to get the mic earpiece on and there's never, never a chance. But I reckon lots of you have got stories of encouragement that we could share. So uh, that's a, a, a memo to me uh, to, to make sure we, uh, you know, if people do have stories of encouragement where people have had Pictures, or words of wisdom and stuff like that, that we, we can share those. I've, um, I, there are lots of do's. There may be people here who are worried and thinking about, well, what about all the don'ts, Will? I think we'll leave the don'ts until the gift of prophecy really starts being used here. Um, I just There is one point, and that's to do with the authority of prophecy. Paul says in verse 29 that all prophecies must be clearly weighed. That shows us that they are not infallible um, and so cannot be compared to God's Word as revealed in Scripture. Uh, prophecies are partial, incomplete, and temporary, and so in no way can be equated to Scripture which is full, complete, and timeless. But Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. But test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject whatever is harmful. And certainly in the congregational context, that is the duty, the responsibility, of the leadership team. Well, I really uh, pray that uh, you will leave here encouraged to go and have a look In here. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are, uh, if you've got the Spirit of God living and alive in you, uh, these gifts are all for you to use. I do encourage you to look in that bag and start asking for them. And so let me close in a prayer. Lord Jesus, we pray for your church, we pray that you would anoint us all in the area of the prophetic. Would you please increase your anointing on us all that we could, all sons and daughters, old and young, rich and poor, operate in the gift of prophecy. And Father, we ask that you equip your leaders that we might welcome it and handle it wisely. Let the prophets come forth and let your precious church be built up, encouraged and comforted through the proper and right use of this gift. In your name, amen.